0: Questions, Answers, and the Voice in the whirlwind. Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of Sunday, October 17th, 2021 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. Asking questions and seeking answers from God is not disrespectful nor an inherently wrong thing if done with the right intention. God is intimately aware of our personal situations, Deacon Aaron Iamey reminds us. God is present during our dark times, and He hears our cries and questions about suffering and evil. He answers us from the storm and chaos of the world. When everything seems out of control, the reality is that God is in total control. God has shared our weaknesses in the person of Jesus, who is now elevated to be our eternal high priest. Jesus continues to speak to the people of God, so let us hear again the good news when we need it the most. We begin with the lectionary readings.
1: Our first reading today, Job 38, beginning verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plan with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. On what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone? while the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy. And then to verse, same chapter, verse 34. Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning belts bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens? When the dust becomes hard and the clods of the earth stick together, do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven? When it's young, cry out to God and wonder about the lack of food. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Be to God. Our second reading today is from the book of Hebrews, uh, starting in the fifth chapter, verses one through 10. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Our gospel portion is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, beginning at verse 35. Please stand. It's a tradition to honor the Messiah and his teachings to us. The good news according to John. No, Mark. It's one of them. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, Let one of us sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left, it's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We are in our lectionary reading, we are in the 21st Sunday after Pentecost, and this season is the longest one in the church, and it's, the, and it's also the one without a name. Finally, we're getting close to Advent and Christmas, we actually can change the name. And uh, we'll actually begin a different lectionary cycle and begin reading, reading Luke. But for right now, brothers and sisters, these are the texts appointed for us for the today. So let them speak to us and let's try and learn from them and learn how we can become better disciples of the Messiah. So I'm going to begin by talking about a book that's none of those readings at all. Habakkuk. I really like Habakkuk. Uh, it's a, not because it's a short book, but uh, it comes from the verb Lechabek in Hebrew. Um, for those, it means to hug. If you're going to have a hug, then it's called a chibuki. And um, I can't for the life figure out why Habakkuk is actually called Habakkuk because his book's got nothing to do with hugging. Instead, what you have is you have this guy complain. And he, and, he, and he complains to the Lord and he asks questions of the Lord. And the Lord answers. And then instead of going, wow, okay, he asks some more, more complaints and more questions. You think, wow, what, what nerve has this guy got? And, um, and I, when looking at it, you think, okay, asking questions of God is not inherently a bad thing. Not inherently a bad thing to, to, to ask the Lord something. We, ask, we actually ask God lots of things. Why does he allow such and such to happen? Why am I here? What is the point of all of this? Why can't I actually hear your voice? They're good questions. In fact, in the Jewish world... They have a saying that goes, if you're closer to God when you're asking questions than when you think you have answers. A little bit of humility there. It says it's okay to demand from the Lord, to ask. And in fact, that's what we see a lot of our characters doing today in our readings. Job's been asking questions his entire book. Finally, he's going to get some answers. They may not be the answers he wants. In fact... They are not. And the disciples are going to ask some questions of, of Jesus, and they are not going to get the answers that they want, either. But the answers that come from the Lord are the answers that we need, and they are the answers that this world needs. One thing I like about Job and the way and, and Habakkuk, when God responds, he doesn't respond. In ignorance, as if God could actually be ignorant, he knows the situation of his heroes. God is intimately aware with the suffering that's going on with Job, with Habakkuk, with his people, and with you and me. He is not aloof. That is such actually a comforting thing to know. And it actually is for Job. When, Job, when the book of Job starts, he is not aware of the little dialogue that's going on in heaven between Satan and God. He has no, no way of knowing what sets up all of his issues. And God doesn't even explain that. God doesn't say, Job, I've been listening to all your questions and actually Satan and I had a bet on you. That's why this is all happening. You happy with that one? No, God knows his hero. Doesn't answer his questions. He just knows his hero, and we can be confident that God that knows us and He knows our personal situations, and He's actually in total control. So, looking at our hero Job, who is he? His name in Hebrew is Eov, which means enemy. What mother in their right mind calls their kid that? This is this is my son, enemy. This is daughter, Vanguard, and main battle tank, and our pet, Dawn Patrol. But Job, Job's not even Jewish. No one knows who he is. He doesn't live in Israel. He he lives in the land of Uz, which is in in uh, Babylon, to cross the Euphrates. Yet he talks to God. God calls him. Blameless and upright. Actually, he calls him tamim, pure. Like, Wow, that's an interesting word to call a non-Jew. He makes sacrifices for his kids' sins. Who told him to make sacrifices for sin? Since when did Gentiles ever get this kind of information? In the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible... There actually are, are sometimes like little titles, little paragraphs that describe the book, just like we have in our modern day translations. And uh, the Septuagint says, Job, Job's actually related to Abraham. And you go, wow, that's kind of nice. So, sort of, maybe it runs in the family. But there is a, a tradition uh, that Chaldeans have a unique and special gift. What, what is it? Well,. In the book of Daniel, yeah, we're really going all over the place uh, today. Um, in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a really bad dream. And he summons all his wise people. And he gives a little list. And it says he calls in his necromancers, his magicians, his soothsayers, his oracles, and his Chaldeans. And it's like, so there's all these people with jobs and a job title. And then there's a race of people. He goes, I want to bring in some Chaldeans. Why? Because apparently, according to tradition, just oral tradition, you're going to find it in the Bible. Maybe you might even find it on Wikipedia. Obviously not true. And, uh, but the Chaldeans had this connection to the spirit world. Ever wondered why Abraham could talk to God? God says, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham doesn't go, uh-oh. Boy. Better put that drink down, not taking that one again. I need to go and get a head shrink or something. No, they seem to have some way to communicate to the divine. It's also possible that uh, uh, Uz, Uz actually is a great-grandson of Shem. So it's very possible that Shem taught his family uh, sacrifices, because Noah sacrificed, and Noah's a Gentile. So it's possible. There's a few streams to figure out, but let's just know this. Job has no idea what's going on with his life. He has been suffering. It's been horrible. His kids are dead. All his wealth's gone. He's covered in boils. His friends are persecuting him, and he wants answers to his suffering. And when God shows up, God shows up, interestingly, in our passage today. This is where God finally comes. He shows up in a whirlwind, a storm, a mixture of light and darkness, a mixture of wind and rain. A storm is chaotic. It's chaos. And from out of chaos, God speaks, which is an interesting way to come and talk to your hero. God could have spoken in any other way, Just like when he talked to Abraham. He didn't show up in a storm. He talked to Moses. It was a different medium. Spoke to Daniel. It was through angels. Lots of different ways for God to speak, but for Job, it's through a storm. Maybe there's something to learn there too. God can speak from the midst of chaos. And when God speaks, he doesn't, and in his reply, he doesn't, answer Job's questions. He does not explain the reason for suffering. Perhaps we can't. When you're talking to someone who is suffering, it's very hard. It's hard to, just, to for ourselves and it's hard to counsel other people. But when God speaks, he, he reminds Job of what God has been doing. Can you measure the universe? Do you know where all of this came from? When I'd like to ask you questions. And scientists are still today, modern day scientists, are still trying to figure out the same questions God asked Job. We don't know the foundation of mass, space, or time. We know there is mass, space, and time. But where did it all come from? How does it all hold together? Why those Things. What is the expanding universe expanding into? I mean, let's expand into nothing. Think of that sentence for a second. How? How do animals gain instinct? Where do instincts come from? No one has a clue. We know they have them. It's baffling. And yet, God is in total control of it. Even in the midst of a storm, and for Job, what was it that comforted Job? The voice of the Lord. That was enough. Now let's have a look at our hero, Melchizedek. and um, I did it's not an icon. Normally, I bring a little icon, but this actually is a mural, a little um, with little stones that they that they put in, and the artist, okay, um, Greek Greek artists put uh, some interesting pictures into this into this uh, image. Now, images. No one worships icons. Okay, in the in Jewish tradition, you worship the Lord with all of your senses, not just hearing, not just singing. Okay, you worship the Lord with taste. You worship the Lord with your sight. Okay, and uh, um, all of all of our senses, and in the sense of smell, with incense, which, by the way, God invented in Exodus. Um, what do you see in this picture? What are the things you see? So, what's what's first of all? What's uh, Melchizedek standing in front of? His altar. Okay, that's interesting, and that's actually not there in the text. In fact. Um, the incident of, of Melchizedek meeting Abraham is only four lines long. That's it. It's a com- completely it's a, it's an it's an encounter completely devoid of context, of uh, location. Okay, we we've got a thing called Shalem Salem, whoever that is, and um, uh, we don't know who he is. He's a king and a priest, um, and yet and he brings out bread and wine, in that order which is going to be very interesting a bit later on. So who's off to the side? Who's on, who's on this side? Abraham, I guess. And who else, who's with him? Isaac. Okay, but in the, in the text, it's just Abraham. Okay, this is now a, uh, an artist's sort of uh, theological interpretation. Isaac was there, just not physically. Okay, so here you have him. as the young man. And, uh, and off to the other side, who do you have? We got a we've got a man, a man who's not dressed like the others. Could be, could be because he's bringing what is he bringing? Lamb. Okay, so we've got another sacrifice going on, uh, of a lamb coming, and in the top corner we've got a hand coming down, right? Uh, ancient representations of God were just hands, right? The hand of the Lord. You never physically drew him, um, and uh, and so he's he's. Uh, entering the picture and uh, it, all, the the writer of hebrews is doing an incredible little midrash on uh, psalm 110 verse 4 that you are a priest in the order of melchizedek okay the entire chapter 5 actually bits of 4 5 and 7 uh, just is a midrash Anyone know what a midrash is yes okay great Yes sir. A great device to try and explain, explore, and, and, and gain understanding of a, of a verse. So here we have the order of Melchizedek at an altar with bread and wine, encountering a sacrifice that began with Abel, perhaps even includes Isaac and Abraham. And um, the, the, the physical representation of this today is that one. We call these the altars of the Lord. This is true. Who builds altars in the Bible? Well, just about everybody. <laughs> okay. Jews build altars. That is true. Abraham built an altar. Noah built an altar. Um, lots of people build altars. Here's this, this idea that where do the priests get their authority from? They're not Levites. They're not Cohens. They're not Jews. How dare they call themselves priests? Where's their priesthood come from? It's the order of Melchizedek. Now on Shabbat, when Jewish people celebrate Shabbat, I celebrate Shabbat, we bring out and bless wine and bread. This is not a replacement for the Sabbath. We didn't do bread and wine because the Jews were doing wine and bread. We're doing bread and wine because that guy. Okay? We're not trying to replace the levitical priesthood even the writer of hebrews has some very positive things to say about the levites he said they were honored to be appointed to be able to intercede and have compassion on sinners they just had an issue they died we have a high priest that does not die and he can empathize with us that's that's a beautiful part of the Midrash yes high priests and priests and Levites in the temple could definitely empathize with the worshippers because they're humans and humans are coming and everybody's human our high priest can empathize with our weaknesses because he was just like us and he could overcome he could feel our suffering he could endure our pains and he comes forward with the answers And the answer uh, is 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 probably not a word we like to hear. The writer of Hebrews uses some interesting words in Hebrews five. He says he has learned obedience. What an interesting way to talk about the Messiah! He learnt obedience. You mean he was disobedient before? So there was Jesus in heaven, you know, brat of a kid, and Jesus, God's like, well, that's it. I've got to sort this kid out. Best, best thing for him is a trip to earth. No. He endured us. It's an interesting word to say. He learnt obedience through what he suffered. And since that, he has become the source. This is the key. He has become the source of eternal salvation for all who, we want to say believe, but the word is obey. Obedience is linked to faith, which works beautifully in Hebrew, because faith in Hebrew is a verb, not a noun. And so somewhere along the line, brothers and sisters, we have to put our faith into action. Now taking all of that, keep that up, taking all of that, the ability to ask questions of the Lord, that God can speak through a storm, that he knows everything that we've been going through. And he is the source of eternal salvation. Let's look at our gospel passage. And we see our disciples come and ask Jesus a question, which is actually inappropriate. Disciples are not meant to do that kind of stuff, tell, tell the master what to do. The master's supposed to tell them what to do. But they ask. There's a Jewish tradition of asking Now, they're on their way to Jerusalem. This is going to be the showdown. And even though Jesus has, a couple of weeks ago in our lectionary, told them clearly what he is going to do, they're still thinking, we're going to kick out the Romans. And when you do, and it's all absolutely fantastic, is it okay if we have some really nice positions next to you? And Jesus you could almost hear him say, oh, man, okay, let me get my report card. F and uh, F and um, now and, and I'm going to dismiss the lot of you. Okay, no, he asks some questions back. And his, answer, his questions are, can you, can you bear what I'm about to bear? And I say, yes, we can. And for James, you can almost hear Jesus go, yep, by Acts 12, dude, you're out of here. Yeah. You, on the other hand, you've got a lot to do. You've got some books to write, you've got an apocalypse and a vision to have. It's gonna scare the pants off you, but you're gonna do it. Okay. Um I mean, I'll be talking to you. Jesus has some very interesting things to say. Now, James and John, in the in the in the parallel account that we find in Matthew, it's actually not James and John who ask, it's their mother. How Jewish is that, eh? <laughs> that's that's way more like what happens. Yes, okay. And um but but uh uh the, the the both James and John have journeyed with jesus they've learnt and they 've taught they 've both experienced the, the 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 infilling of the holy spirit they've cast out demons they've healed people they've done all the things that they've that um Jesus has done and all, like all the other disciples but jo james's career is going to be cut short and you, one question might be well that didn't seem worth it. You spent all that time learning, all that time getting ready for ministry just to die. Other guys, they're going to have varied careers. And the longest living dude is going to be John. But it's an interesting lesson for all of us, isn't it? We all sit with the same spirit, the same teaching, the same call, the same message. And for some of us, the journey is long. And for some of us, it is not. But the call was the same. The goal was the same. The voice of God was the same. The Holy Spirit was the same. We share the same faith, Lord, and baptism. It plays out a little differently for each of us. And that's okay. Do you know the reason why? No. Do I know the reason why? No. But the voice of God, can that be the thing that satisfies us? Can that be enough in the storm? Jesus says, the Son of Man will give his life as a ransom for many. That's how our little passage ends. It ends with essentially uh, the good news, the gospel. And to be fair... This is not brand new information for the disciples and it's certainly not brand new information for the world of the Second Temple period. If people had been reading books like the Maccabees, then they would have encountered uh, something called, called uh, the, um, the Martyrdom of Eliezer. Uh, anyone read the book of Maccabees? We're coming up to it, so probably a good idea to dust it off the shelf and give it a go. Eleazar, high priest, uh, and and uh, is about to be martyred. Uh, to ha- uh, he's going to be killed in some very nasty ways. He's going to get flayed, and as he dies, he says, "Be merciful on your people. Not be merciful on me, Lord. Be merciful on your people. Let our punishment, because he's also being killed with his sons, let our punishment suffice for them. Make." My blood, their purification, exchange my life for their life. So in the second temple period, there was a tradition of atonement. It's possible. And Jesus says very clearly here, the Son of Man, this powerful eschatological figure that you see in Daniel, will give his life, not just for one, for many he will give his life for many. And it's the reason why in our liturgies we will say this is the, the blood of the Messiah shed for many. We don't say all. We don't say this is the blood of Jesus shed for all. Actually, nowhere in the Bible does it say shed for all. Because if Jesus' blood is shed for all, that means everybody's in heaven. Isn't that Interesting. We we unfortunately know the great tragedy of the book of Revelation. When history is rolled up, everybody gets what they wanted, except God. If you want Jesus, you get him. He's yours, closer than a a brother, sharing in, in everlasting life, a place in the world to come. An opportunity to actually get all the answers. If anything, the voice of God. And if you don't want God, if you don't want Jesus, and you just want to go through your life on this world without any, any uh, shackles or what you think is a shackle, okay, fine. God's not going not to override that. But when you get to the end, you might not like the reward But we also know that God wanted everyone to repent and come to a saving faith. But that's actually not what we see happen. Isn't it interesting? The guy who started all of human history is the only guy who doesn't get what he wants. That's incredible love. Incredible that the Son of Man would would give his life as a ransom for many. May there be more. And can we pray for the non-many? So, brothers and sisters, some of us struggle. Some of us feel pain. Some of us endure it almost all of our lives. Do we know the answers? No. But do we know that God does? Yes. Does he hold the universe in his hand? Absolutely. How assuredly can I believe this? Is the priesthood of the Messiah is something you can actually still see today. We gather around things called altars. We worship the Lord with taste, reminding ourselves that our high priest has done the ultimate sacrifice. He has paid the ransom for many. And that includes us right here, right now. Can the voice of God, whispering love, whispering mercy, whispering the, his control of the universe, can that be enough for us? I hope so, because it's the truth. If you still struggle with that, see us at coffee time. We would love to be able to pray with you, talk with you, and remind you that the voice of God still speaks, even in the storm, in the midst of the chaos. Brothers and sisters, let's take this uh, sweet salvation and add it to our faith and walk it out in obedience to the Lord.